The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every single solitary week for going on 26 years. Anniversary's coming up. I'm thinking about that again. 26 years in April. We've been working to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business and always trying to bring you a combination of topics that are just important for everybody who's going to be in this business and topics that are a little more niche that you may not know about that are along the lines of things that you um, you might want to explore for yourself, depending on your own particular situation. And I would say that today's show falls into that latter category because we're going to talk about master leasing, kind of a creative finance technique, except it's not financing. It's think about, think about subletting. Think about how confused we all were about how Monica and Rachel on Friends afforded that 1,500-square-foot apartment that they lived in in the village when one of them was a waitress and the other one worked in a coffee shop. And the answer is they were they were subleasing. They, they, it was, it was, if you recall, it was Monica's grandmother's apartment, and it was it had a fixed rent because of rent control, which of course we're, we're against, but those gals were able to lease it from grandma at a rate that apparently a waitress and a barista could afford. Um, it's best leasing's kind of sort of like that, except intentional <laughs> and not, 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 not meant to, uh, you know, really probably violate the law. I'm pretty sure Monica's grandma's rent control department probably had a no subleasing clause in the lease. But, um, in any case, uh, to help me discuss this topic today and kind of lay it out for you is Lindsay Jensen, who is a wife, mother, and real estate investor, and who is uh, in control of over 70 doors now out in Colorado. Um, started learning about creative financing back in 2016, and she's done, she's done a lot of different uh, acquisition techniques, but the thing that she's sort of known for in these seminars, what everybody comes up to her in these seminars about is the idea of master leasing. She's joining us today by phone to help us all figure out what the pros and cons of this strategy are. Uh, Lindsay, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. 
Hi, Vina. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad you're available this <laughs> week because um, this is a topic that I think I think people are hearing more and more about it, and I think that's another artifact of the incredibly hot market. Folks are just like. Okay, what else is working? Because <laughs> buying for sixty cents on the dollar less repair costs isn't so. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> what else is out there? And uh, this is a this is a very interesting way of getting control of a property, getting cash flow from a property, and maybe setting up a future sale. Absolutely. Maybe. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I heard about it about five years ago. It was one of the first. Um, one of the first creative deal structuring slash finance techniques that I had heard about, um, and I got into it mostly because I wanted to know, um, David Tilney is the one that taught that to me, and I wanted to know mostly about how he manages properties, because he had a very special way of managing his properties that he called hassle-free. So that's how I got into it, but the master leasing side was what caught my attention as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So ironically, um, David is one of the featured speakers at the OREA National Real Estate Summit this year in November. That's the first time anybody's ever heard that. Like, that's the first time I've said that out loud. And uh, so your, your mentor is going to be there to kind of help other people uh, figure all that out in November and listeners to the show will hear lots more about that as the uh, year progresses and as we make offers to listeners about attending that. Uh, can we just can we just start with you talking to us about what the heck a master lease is? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty simple and it's known really well in like commercial real estate. So it's just a lease from a landlord to a tenant, and then it's followed by a sublease from that tenant to a subtenant or an occupant. Okay. So the reason it's called that is because even, and especially with commercial properties, even if there are 40 units in an apartment building, there can be a master lease on the apartment building that says, hey, owner, I will give you $10,000 a month and I get to lease the whole building. But at the same time, I also get to have leases with people in the individual units. Exactly. Yep. Now, it, how, how have you in particular, in particular used this strategy in your business? Has it been more on the single family home side or been more on the apartment side? Um, mostly on the single family home side within the last year, I have done a couple of multi families, um, just because I wanted to kind of dip my toe into it. It's not something that David Tilney likes to deal with, or, um, you know, they're very, he's very into just mostly single family stuff. It was just something I was like, yeah, let me try this out and see kind of let me learn about this side of things. And that's one of the things I love about master leasing is because you can learn on um, something before you purchase it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So 
in a in a master lease situation or you know a sandwich lease would be another another common term that I think people may have heard although they they've, they've yep. probably heard it as sandwich lease with option to buy and we'll we'll come to that right. option to buy part a little bit later <laughs> but imagine a, a lease option where you subtract the option and it's just simply an agreement that I'm going to pay you this much every month and I'm going to do whatever I do with the, with managing and charging rents and maintaining and so on the, uh, the unit. And of course the spread there, cause that's always, that's always the important part of the sandwich is the spread yes. <laughs> is between what you have agreed to pay to the owner every month and what you can collect from market rate tenants who are actually living in the property. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, with that introduction, we need to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to, we're going to talk about what the structure of these things looks like, how much spread one should try to negotiate into the deal up front, because of course that's where you make your spread is when you make the deal, not when you go lease the property. You already have to know all that stuff. What can I get for rent and so on? What kind of sellers do this? Um, how to talk to him about it, all of that sort of stuff. We're also taking listener questions at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm talking today to Lindy. Lindy, that's good. Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay Jensen about uh, master leasing and her experiences with it and sort of how it works. And maybe this turns out to be for you listeners and maybe you just sort of file it and say, if I see a situation where this would be a good thing, then I will go back and listen to the show on the on the website at realliferealestate.com and figure out what it was all about. Uh, again, uh, taking listener questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Now, Lindsay, I think the thing that, the first thing that people have a hard time getting their brains around is why in the world would you, the, the filling in this sandwich lease situation, do it, but I think we need to start with why does the owner do it? Like what? So you, you got some guy, he's got a one family or two family or 40 family or whatever. What would the circumstances be that made him say, you know what sounds really good to me? I'm going to get another investor to lease it from me and then they can collect the rents from the tenants and whatever they make is fine. So there's lots of reasons. Um, a lot of my referrals have come from people who just know how I take care of properties and the fact that I truly, truly take care of them. And I um, I go from a tenant to a tenant. I don't have downtime in between tenants. So I technically don't cost as much as maybe property managers. Um, they have very little rehab costs because of how I deal with tenants. So that's a little bit of it, but there's also possibilities in where um, they don't, let's say for tax reasons, they may not want to sell a property. It's not the right time for them or they want to find a 1031 exchange property first or something like that. Well, they don't have to sell if they lease the property to you. 
And it's also not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. So I can sit down. It's a lease between me and the owner. So I can sit down with them, and we can go through a contract and make it fit the two of us. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to kind of cater a little bit more to the owner's needs. Um, if they want to feel like they literally don't have anything, to, like if they want to feel pretty much like they've sold it, I can make that happen, but they still technically own it. So they don't, they don't think about the tenants and toilets anymore. They're just, right. they're just getting a check from you and yep. really, I mean, they care how you're taking care of it because it's still your asset, but it's not their problem every time a furnace, uh, uh, filter needs to be replaced or something like that. So it, exactly. it, 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 it's, it's so funny that, um, you know, we call rentals a passive investment. Because for most of them, they, uh, most of us, they are definitely not a passive investment <laughs> right. in the same sense that like, you know, a stock or a bond that doesn't call me up in the middle of the night and tell me that the toilet's been leaking for three days uh, is. So right. you, you said sellers who don't want to sell because of tax reasons. Can can you talk? Oh, so So this is somebody who like they really maybe don't like the property anymore. They, they're they're, yeah, they're, they're over it. <laughs> tired. They're, maybe they're just tired of being a part of the the situation. You know, they want to start retiring and having more of their time back. Um, so they, if they were to sell the property, let's say they've owned it for thirty years, they are going to recapture all the depreciation that they've done over the last. Tw- it's usually twenty seven years, but. Um, whatever they've depreciated over that 30 years, they will recapture and they're going to have to pay taxes on the gains of that property plus the depreciation. So if they don't, if they're not ready to do that, or I meet a lot of people who have several houses and they want to sell one at a time, but I can say, well, you can be done with all 10 of these houses right now and still sell one at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I want listeners to, to, bookmark that in their brains you know the file the, that, that little file that goes oh this is something new and interesting because there are more of those sellers out there right now than i have ever seen and and it's a combination of things it's the it's the baby boomers getting older and wanting to retire and it's the incredibly high values in the market right now And these are largely people who went the last 25 years without paying any taxes. Literally, their depreciation offset their income. Or if they paid any taxes, it was a little bit every year. Right. And now their their property has doubled in value since 2010. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that was at the at the bottom. They couldn't sell it, and and, <laughs> and now and now they're looking at you know values that are just insane. And they call their CPA and say, "I'm gonna sell that building." Their CPA says, "Let me calculate your capital gains tax. Oh, it's going to be a hundred and seventy thousand dollars in tax, not in value, in tax. Or in this part of the country, it might be you know seventy thousand dollars in tax." And that is really hard for somebody who has arranged their life up until now to be kind of a tax-free lifestyle to stomach. Like literally they, they won't sell a property they don't like because they can't stand the idea of paying all that tax. 
other creative finance techniques where, you know, you say, oh, it saves the owner taxes because uh, they carried the loan for me. It doesn't actually save them those taxes. It just lets them cut them up over the length of the loan. A master lease actually completely avoids them. Oh, I have a bad feeling we just lost Lindsay. Yeah, let's let's take it. That was that was interesting. Let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we will hopefully have our guests back on the line. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Your questions on master leasing is are welcome at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. And welcome back to Lindsay. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> talking along and all of a sudden we hear it click, click. Oh, <laughs> so. <laughs> yep. It just went away. I was like, huh. Yeah. Yeah. I love live radio. Love it when that kind of stuff happens <laughs> and you can't edit it out. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we're talking about that uh, master leasing is a way for people who uh, really are kind of sick and tired and ready to ready to go, but can't stomach the capital gains tax bill to. Mm-hmm leave it somewhat behind in the sense of they don't have to deal with the management and repairs and maintenance and so on anymore, but also kick that capital gains tax can down the road until they yeah. find something they like better, or maybe they, they die and you still have the master lease and then their kids inherited yep. a stepped up basis and then you can yep. buy it from the kids. There's, uh-huh. It, it, it's a it's a structure that kind of um, fills a gap that other structures do not fill. So, yep. having having said that about the seller, what about for you? Wouldn't you rather just own these houses? I love owning the houses. Don't get me wrong. Um, it was what was really attractive to me is when I started, I didn't have to have any money to start it. <laughs> like. Uh, as a matter of fact, they paid me. So, and as I've gone along, um, it, that has grown and grown and owning rentals can be expensive. Like there's a lot of maintenance there and stuff. And even though I do have some cash flow from that now, this really substitutes, it gives me some extra money, but it also gives me more money to invest with. And it gives me a lot of side money for when those big things happen to houses. So I have loved that. It's also, it has provided me with a great way to test out houses. For instance, like with the multifamilies, I was always afraid to invest in those, um, took one on and was like, well, this isn't that bad. They're not my favorite. I don't want a ton of them. But when a property came across my desk this year, that was, it was a duplex and it was an insanely good deal. I was no longer afraid to buy it and got it for a hundred thousand dollars under the value of it. So, just by master leasing somebody else's multifamily, it created a deal for me down the line that I knew what to do with. Um, you can also go into new areas. So the town just south of us is Pueblo. And as you said earlier, like things are getting expensive and I've had to kind of shift some of the things that I've done in my business in order to continue to play the game. So I was able, I had a couple people ask me to take care of their properties down in Pueblo. And I was like, Sure. Let me see. Let me see what this market's like. Let me see what the values are like, what the rents are like, what the renters are like. And it wasn't that bad. So guess what? I started buying houses to, um, well, I bought them to flip, but I ended up keeping them because I learned the market down there and was able to 
know that I can get great renters and um, I know the values and it just wasn't scary anymore. Mm-hmm. You know who's, you know which side of our industry has grabbed onto this with both hands and this might be a reason that they're better known now than they were even like three or four years ago is the short-term rental industry. Mm-hmm. We've got, we've got a number of members of our local RIA association up here who uh, they, they work in markets where the economics of buying a house for short-term rental don't work that well. <laughs> you know, they're they're nine hundred thousand yeah. dollar houses, and yeah, short term rentals make a whole lot of money, but you can't really get them at a discount. And banks don't love financing short term rentals, and and and, and so they look instead for the person who's renting the six hundred thousand yep. dollar house, and they're able yep. to pay that person. They they're able to say, let let me be your tenant. I'm going to turn this into a short term rental. They don't lie about that. But, you know, you're asking $3,500 a month. I'm happy to not only pay that, but also paint your house for you <laughs> and furnish yep, it and redecorate it. it. And, and <laughs> I, I, I would love to lease it from you for the next 10 years if that would make you happy. Yep. And, and so even though it's been around for a long time, I know Dave has been teaching this for, I don't even know how many decades. It's like, it's, it, it got popular for a particular reason in short-term rentals. It was already popular in commercial, and now it's sort of going backwards, and people are going, well, why couldn't I do that with a regular rental? Yes, and what you'll hear when people are talking about this, they'll actually call it arbitrage is yeah. another word for it. If you're watching, like, social media and stuff, mm-hmm. it's exactly the same thing as master leasing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about what the structure of these master leases look like. And I know, I know you, you just said that you sit down with a seller and you say what, what, what's going to work for both of us. And so I'm sure they all look different, but in general, the monthly payment that you pay to the owner of the property, how does that look as like a percentage of what they're getting now or, or a percentage of the rent that, you could get like how do you how do you even figure out what that is so my normal and what i don't do i won't do it for anything less unless i have some kind of ownership in it is um i pay the owner 90 percent of whatever i bring in okay and is that is that a performance-based contract where if the property Correct. happens to be empty this month your your 90 percent is 90 percent of zero exactly okay correct so you like you like the performance based master leases versus the other version which is a fixed rent lease people do do those yes and so it's not that i like it better it's just over time learning how to use that and also feeling comfortable with that right so now that i have a lot of extra income coming in and i'm so comfortable in all these areas there's a lot more areas for me to say i'm going to pay you this six amount to people who are not comfortable with the downside risks Mm -hmm. and i'll say i will pay you this no matter what no matter if it's empty no matter what like this is what you're going to get and but i'm going to ask for more on my side for taking all the risk Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so more you're going to ask for more cash flow like you're going to offer a lower percentage of rental maybe i would say i want to i want a master lease for 15 years Ah. like Okay, so that means any rent that goes up over that 15 years is all mine. Mm -hmm. So I get to collect 
all the increase over that 15 years. And there will be increases. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it could be, that's fine, I will do this, but I want 25% of the upside of the appreciation of the house. Mm -hmm. Something like that. You can kind of come up with whatever you want to for doing that. So when you when you sell it, we'll, we'll we'll decide what it's worth today, and then when you sell it, I get twenty five percent of the difference between what it's worth today and what you actually end up selling it for. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Okay. So lots of little ways to kind of say if I'm taking more responsibility and more risk, then I get I get something else other than just this spread in the in yep. the monthly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who pays for stuff? Uh, the 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 is still going to have taxes, insurance. Uh, in multifamilies, there's often utilities that that are owner paid. Uh, there might be a mortgage on the property. Yep. Who's who's paying for all of that? Depends on the person. So we do have um, one other investor that I work with that wanted me to pay for everything. So I just got a hold of his mortgages. I pay for all of that stuff. Anything that. Um, any repairs that are needed, if his cash flow doesn't cover that, I do ask for him to reimburse me for those, but I pay for it first. And then it gets taken out of his rents that get paid out to him mm-hmm. for whatever's left over. Okay. So technically he's paying for them, but I'm handling it all. And he just has to reimburse me if there's any, like, if his full, his cash flow doesn't cover all that. Um, but for the most part, his he's completely hands off from his properties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But t- but uh, in your typical setup, you make the payment every month, and from that, the owner pays Correct. the operating expenses, just like he was before you yep. were his <laughs> tenant. Okay, so yep. what, what about, let, let's divide this into two conversations. There's maintenance, right? There's mm-hmm. the, the tenant calls and says the light fixture broke. And then there's capital expenditures. There's yep. uh, the roof got old enough that it's time to replace it. The furnace got old enough that it's time to replace it. Who, who in your typical deal, who pays for the maintenance? So my renters pay for the first hundred dollars of anything that goes wrong. And they're just encouraged to kind of handle that the best way. If it's over a hundred dollars, I get involved. And then it, again, that amount will come out of the owner's payout. Okay. So the owners, for Are the most part, will pay effectively all that. paying for it. Now, when you say when you say yeah. the tenant's responsible for the first hundred dollars, I assume that that is of of things that the tenant was responsible for. <laughs> like you're not you're not going to so, pay you're not going to make the, make the tenant pay for the first hundred dollars of the roof because he didn't wear it, the roof out. Um, it depends on that. Could be a a, a discussion on how long they've been there, right? Like. So in my contract, it states a first hundred dollars of anything that has to be done to the house. So technically, yes, it could be the roof. I don't always, depending on how long they've been there, like enforce that depending on what goes bad. But um, if it's little stuff like faucets, plumbing, um, little things like that, then yes, it's part of just using the house. Hmm. And that's something that's something listeners who are scattered all over the country, by the way, need to check with their local and state law about, because there are some places where tenants absolutely cannot be charged for ordinary wear and tear items. They can be charged if they are the one who broke the light fixture. And I would I would argue that the light fixture did not break itself, whether they 
say that they did anything to it or not. Um, but you know, a, a, a 15 year old, uh, uh, faucets that, that'd go bad in my house too. And it's just, you know, it's, it would be considered ordinary wear and tear under the law. So right. y'all who are listening to this, you need to check as always with your local and state laws about what you can and cannot charge for before you go, Oh my God, that's the best idea I ever heard. I'm going to go do that. It may not actually be something you can enforce where you live. And then the capital expenditures, because you, you don't own these properties as much as you are very much in control of them. If you put a roof on somebody's house, it's their house you're putting a roof on. Yes, right. So uh, in my contracts with the owner, it is they are the ones that have to do that. But again, a nice thing to do with master leasing, and one of the reasons I like this is because if you have an owner, I mean, so many... Um, one rental owner, mom and pop type people, um, they live paycheck to paycheck. And if they cannot afford to pay the deductible on the insurance, because a lot of insurances are going to 1% now, and that can be very expensive, um, especially with how prices have been going. Uh, if they can't afford to put a roof on, I'm in a comfortable position now where I say, okay, I will pay to get that roof on there because it has to be put on. Um but here's how we're going to work it. You have to pay me back three, $3 for every $1 I spend. Or you have to, again, give me a portion of the upside of the house or whatever you want to like negotiate with these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had an owner who just flat out refused to allow you to do necessary repairs and improvements? No, because I've learned over the years how to... Um, just like with tenants, how you set up expectations with them, I have also learned how to set up expectations with the owners. And I let them know up front that, like, that's not going to cut it. Like, I offer good houses. And the reason I tell them that is because they're going with me because of the way I take care of properties. In order to take care of their properties in that way, I have to have the best tenants. In order to get the best tenants, I have to give them a good and safe property. And they understand that, and they understand that going in, and I just let them know if they're not willing to do those things that are necessary for me to provide the services I've promised, we can't do business together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you prefer it if the owner will also give you an option to buy the property in addition to the lease? It is in all my contracts. Okay. Even with other investors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, no one has ever cared. <laughs> <laughs> and and do you do a true option where you set the price or do you do like a first right of refusal? I do a first right of refusal. Okay. Okay. So it's not, um, it's not you, I, you have agreed to sell me this house up to 15 years from now for this much money. It's, hey, if you decide correct. to sell it, I get the first shot at paying. But I get it at 94%, right? Because ah. they're avoiding the 6% commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also, and I explained to them, I'm like, look, if I hook you up with a renter that eventually buys this, I want to be compensated for that. Um, or I want, if, if they want to sell, and I always tell the owners I'm a long-term, like I try to promise my tenants long-term stuff. Like they are safe in my houses. Stuff is not going to get pulled out from underneath them. So I explained to them, this is how I get good tenants, tenants that take care of your property. 
So this is what I need to be able to offer. And if you ever decide to sell, I want the first right of refusal to purchase it from you so I can leave the tenants in their home. Mm-hmm. And nobody finds any fault with that. Like everybody understands that completely and is usually very for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So first right of refusal, like you won't even you won't even do this deal with me as an owner if I won't give you first right of refusal. How about the option? Do you ever, do you ever actually just set a price with an owner now and say, I I may or may not buy it at this price, but this is the price. I haven't, but, um, most of my business is done with very sophisticated owners. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't mean that like I'm going to take advantage of somebody that isn't sophisticated. It's more that I just trust that they're going to, do the right stuff for these. If I feel like it needs to be put in writing or they're going to need a lot of help or something, or if it's just a situation where, Hey, I'm going to take on paying for any of the maintenance of the property for you, because I know you can't do this, but you're stuck with this house, but maybe they don't want to sell it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, okay, I want an option to purchase this at this price in the future. And I will do all these things. So, I mean, there's just, certain reasons I would do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so picky about your tenants, picky about your, your landlords, because <laughs> yes. that, that's what they're <laughs> doing. Okay. So I um, have a pile of questions for you in the inbox. And before okay. we, before we start tackling those listener questions, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. If you want to Try to get one in. I'm not sure I'm even going to be able to answer the ones that are here. But if you want to try and get one in, listeners, you could go ahead and send it to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Lindsay Jensen. And uh, if you if you dig this kind of owner financing stuff, you might want to check out the one day workshop that Cincinnati RIA is holding this Saturday on how and why to get 0% interest owner financing. You can get more information on that at Cincinnati RIA.com. It is a, it's online, but it is an actual live workshop. Like it's live on zoom. You know, we never have figured out a good way to say that it's live, but it's on zoom. It's not recorded. Uh, well, it'll be recorded, but not until after Saturday. <laughs> so, uh, CincinnatiRia.com. Uh, let's go to the phones and talk to Randy in California, who I believe is the same person who sent me this email about the seven bedroom, five bath property, Randy? That would be correct, Vina. Thank okay. You. So, Lindsay, let me lay out the scenario here and see if you have any advice for Randy. He has located a seven-bedroom, five-bathroom property on eight acres in California. Uh, yeah, sit down so we can talk about the price. Um, <clears throat> it's a short-term rental already. The annual net operating income is $150,000. There's a $900,000 mortgage. The value is about $3.5 million. If the seller sold it right now, he would only net $1.4 million. So he, because he'd have 1.2 million in capital gains. Oh, that hurt. That hurt me to say it, Randy. And <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. It, 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 like, that is more than most Americans make in 10 years, <laughs> all going to the IRS in one big check. 
and uh, also there's a mortgage. So one one 1.4 million net if they were to sell it now, which I gather is probably keeping them from selling it now. So his question to you is, how would you structure an offer to create monthly cash flow with a master lease with an option to purchase after he and his wife pass and his kids can inherit it at the stepped-up basis? Okay, so what is the mortgage payment per month? I don't I don't have that information. He's, he's had it for, well, he's owned the property for 30 years and he did a refinance on it, so... Okay, so what I would do is sit down with him and find out, like, what his monthly mortgage payment is, and you guys can kind of negotiate, um, and, and he wants you to purchase it after his kids get it for the stepped-up basis. Is that correct? Um, yes. Those are the two options. Either buy it now, but have to buy it at a much higher price because of the to cover that capital gain. Or my proposal would be, yeah. Do a master lease what, that fits all the parameters that you've discussed, Lindsay, which is he's older, he's tired of managing the property. And um, well, the good news, the good news is it seems like it's ripe for a master lease with yeah, option to buy. It does. Uh, what yeah. um, What did he did he give you a price he wants you to buy it at after his kids um, or after he passes away and his kids inherit it? No, he didn't really get to that point. Um, so, okay. So, his, his side is he's to... probably not going to sell it until his kids inherit it after he right. after he dies because of that capital gain. But he can set the price with you now, so you can find yeah. out what he wants to sell it for in the future. And I would get that in writing. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but like, if you're going to maybe pay him a little extra or figure out what he wants on a monthly basis for you to secure the purchase of it once they get the stepped-up basis, okay? So you could make it really lucrative for him and just say, look, I'm going to take over everything. I could even pay your mortgage for you if you want. You'll feel like you've sold this. Um, that is something I tell people a lot. I'll, I'll say, you will feel like you've sold this. <laughs> um, and they love that. So you said it has $150,000 a year income, correct? So you don't want to pay out over the 12500 per month. Um, but what you could do is say, okay, your mortgage payment is $3,000 a month. What if I pay you $7,000 a month or even the full 12500 if he wants, but you're handling everything, but you want a better deal on the purchase price when this comes in. So you guys just have to negotiate what works for the two of you, right? Um, so it's going to be a lot of asking questions and listening to what he wants. I would recommend keeping a little bit for yourself so that you can have money for repairs if they're needed. Um, find out right. what the management costs are. Like, are you going to be operating the short term or are you paying someone else to operate it? Uh, well, I'd be operating it by managing a manager. Okay. Okay, so... You know, you want to subtract anything, you're paying that other manager and all that so that you're not coming out of pocket completely. Um, so I would kind of find out what he's making on it now and try to match that as best you can. But if you can't match it, just say, hey, I'm going to take all of this off your plate and, you know, just 
before you even give him an offer, just find out what he wants. Really. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of times people will just tell you what they want and then fill that void and then say what you want. Does the current, does the current owner have a property manager? No, he's been doing that himself with his wife. Okay. Well, so, so you, I think he does, I think he does have one person that acts as an employee that takes a lot of the uh, day-to-day things for him. So you need to knock 20% off that 150000 a year just yeah. for the property manager, because that's what Airbnb property managers charge. Yeah. And, yeah. and so what Lindsay is getting to is if he doesn't want to give you a better price because hopefully his kids net more even if you pay a lower price because of the stepped-up basis, if he doesn't want to give you a lower price, then you have to be paying him significantly less than that twelve five a month because it's got to be about the cash flow if it's not about the price. And in reverse, if he's willing to say, look, I would sell it to you right now for... Two point five million uh, on an option, right? I, I, I'd give you an option right now for two point five million. Then does your cash flow matter so much, or is this a long term exactly. play for you, where you're like, oh, and you know, in fifteen years, this is going to be worth twice this much. So uh, I'm willing to make very little every month to control all this tax free equity right here. And that's what you're yeah, to do. Sorry. If he wants to cash oh, in so on I that equity to do that now, with him if... you might be willing to do that with him if. Fin- finish your thought, Brandy. I might be willing to do that with him. Yeah, if on that uh, purchase price, not at the three five, but at the reduced amount, because then I have to pay the capital gain. But to have either that that excess above what would cash flow be a principal payment only or both have the purchase price be the basis of the uh, remaining mortgage plus something over that. Mm -hmm. Well, fixing a price with him right now and saying, I'll I'll, I'll buy it for what, let's just imagine it's going to be 2.5 million actually nets him more than you think it does because by the time the option is, you know, ready to be exercised to owe a lot less or you can do what you're thinking of True. doing, which is let me let, let's, let's make the purchase price your mortgage balance at that time plus X dollars. And maybe that's the same X dollars that he would make right now, but it's going to be a lesser amount to you when you buy it because the mortgage balance would have dropped. The thing I will say to you, uh, Randy is that this sort of situation where the owner does not want you to exercise the option until they die is a little bit of a trust thing because you can't write that into the option. You can't say, I can't exercise my option until you die and your wife dies. Okay. What you have to do is you have to make it a long-term option with extensions in case he lives to be a hundred and just agree with them that, you know, I'm not going to exercise it unless you ask me to, I'm not going to exercise this option until uh, your kids have told me that you have both passed away. And for heaven's sakes, do put the option in writing and record it because uh, it has it has been heard of that the parents make an agreement like this because it's exactly what they need. <laughs> Lost Lindsay again. Um, 
because it's exactly what they need. And then uh, it's 15 years and they die and the kids will kind of go, this is a $10 million property. There's no way we're selling it for $2.5 million. And they go to court with you and blah, blah, blah. So record the option, record a mortgage to secure the option, make sure that, that whatever you might agree to pay for it, you are protected from the greed of the next generation, <laughs> if you will. Very good. So yeah, that was one of the questions I had. So thank you. Yeah, is that so? Is that helpful? Does that give you a very a place to go? Okay, yeah. and 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 as Lindsay said, the first place to go is back to the seller and sit down with them and say like, how would you like to see this work at, work out? Because he may say something totally unexpected, like I would take uh, you know nine hundred dollars a month and be really happy. You know, you you, you don't know. He may suggest something better than even was in your head. So thank you for your call, Randy. Interesting scenario. Let us know how it turns out. Will do. Thank you, Vina. Tell Lindsay the same. Thank you. <laughs> Will do. I'm here. Thank Bye. you. <laughs> All right. So um, this next question, we, we're, we're down to like two minutes left in the show here, Lindsay. But this next question was one I knew was going to come up. I was hoping somebody would ask it. How does the, your 90-10 split different for the owner than them having a property manager? Um, a couple different ways. So it's written differently instead of a property manager making a 10% fee, I am paying them 90% of what comes in. So first of all, when I send them a statement, it's not the full rent amount minus 10% and that's what comes in and they claim the full rent amount and then they expense the 10%. When I send it to them, all they claim is the amount that they make after after my 10% is taken out, right? So because they don't even, that doesn't even count as income for them because they're, they don't get that. My rent is what my rent is. So that's part of it. Um, that could possibly help you on taxes because it lowers the amount of money you're actually bringing in. Um, the other thing is that we don't, because of the way the contract's written, like they don't, we don't, there's not a lot of extra fees for all these little things. The rent is what the rent is. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to get feed to death mm-hmm. for all the little stuff I'm doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it converts your, if you were a property manager, which you are not, you don't go out and offer to manage people's properties for a fee, then that would Correct. be ordinary income to you, which would be highly Correct. taxed. And as it is, it is rental income to you, which is lower taxed. Correct. So this is, this is rental income as if you owned it, like, because I'm a principal interest in the transaction, this is a passive income. So it's taxed without the self-employment tax on mm-hmm. it. And the argument I always make to folks when I'm talking to them about this is, look, a property manager's income is really not based on their performance. No. I mean, the bottom line is they're, they're going to get paid for doing all kinds of stuff. Yep. With me as the, as, as your tenant, my interest is a hundred percent aligned with yours. Yep. I want the I want the best tenant who stays the longest and does the least damage and pays the most rent and so do you. And your yep. property your property manager just wants to get it filled and move on. Correct. So excellent. Well, uh Lindsay, we're gonna have to have you back because I literally have seven more questions in the inbox that we do not have time to get to because uh okay. we are out of time, but I very much appreciate your time and expertise. Definitely we'll have you back. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 